Well, welcome. So glad that you could join us this morning as we uh, worship the Lord Jesus in song and in truth and in spirit and as we open up God's word. I'm just so excited that you guys could be with us this morning. Um, we're going to continue in our sermon series in the book of Psalms. And Psalms is uh, a collection of songs, really. It's, it's, it's put together. It is, is this beautiful book that, that is inspired by the Word of God, that we are able to, it, it shapes our feelings, it aligns our hearts, it guides our prayers, and it, it gives us life. And so we're, we've been making our way through the book of Psalms and looking at the different kind of categories and genres of the songs throughout the book of Psalms. And today, today we're looking at um, the royal Psalms. Today we're going to look at what, what is, we are going to look at this God who is king. This God who is king. This God who has um, royalty. He has a kingdom. He has royal status. And so what we're going to see um, throughout the book of Psalms is that these royal Psalms, one of them um, goes two different ways. One goes to um, one goes to to the kings of the earth, the the, the Israelite kings that, that the people were praying for the Israelite kings that they would honor God with their lives and that God would protect them and give them victory and strength and honor. Um, but the other royal psalms in it are describing God as king because no matter what earthly king we have, we have a king who is above all kings. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. And so some of these psalms describe God God as the ultimate king. And those psalms are Psalm 92 through 99. And so that's where we're going to uh, look at and we're going to focus on in this section. And the big idea really today is this. If you bow before the Lord, you will stand in the world. If you bow before the Lord, you will stand in the in the world. If you, if you recognize God as king, if you bow a knee, if you submit to the Lord Jesus, that gives you the strength to stand in the world. And I know for, it's hard for us as, as Americans, um, or Americans if, for some of you, um, if, if it's hard for us to really grasp the idea of royalty. Um, because we as Americans, we've, we've gone out of our way to avoid royalty. We, we started a nation uh, going against a crown, right? And so, so we don't have kings and queens, we don't have, our leaders don't act like royalty. They don't dress like royalty. There's no royal protocol that comes with that. We don't have nobility in that sense. And as Americans, we have a hard time really grasping this. And then on top of that, we have this deep, deep cultural value of individual authority. We have this really, really, really deep value of individual authority that, that we don't submit to nothing except the stuff that we want to, right? We, don't, we have nobody over us. We're our own king. We're our own queen. We're our own uh, creator of our destiny. And we say that we're not going to submit to anything. In fact, some people would even say that submission is unhealthy. To submit to anything would be unhealthy because it takes away from your true you or your true self or whatever that even means, right? Like we have all this idea that we are the king of our own universe and that to submit to something would be unhealthy. But the reality is, is that's just simply not true. And the other reality is, is we submit to stuff all the time. All the time we're submitting to, to, to people over us. All the time we're submitting to other authorities. All the time we're, we're putting our lives under the, uh, under the authority of another. We do this all the time. 
The question is, what are we going to submit to and what are we going to give our lives for? What are we going to submit to and what are we going to give our lives for? Because what we submit to will determine our present and our future. And so God is described in the Bible as royalty. He has a kingdom. So the question is, are you going to submit to the God of the Bible or are you going to submit to something else? It's not what you're going to give your life for. It's, it's not if, it's, it's what and who, right? Like this, this idea that, that we are going to put our lives under the authority of another. And so we're going to look at Psalm 92 today, and we're going to, we're going to walk through Psalm 92, and we're going to see what it's like to have God as our king. Okay, so Psalm 92, and the first thing that we're going to see in Psalm 92 in verses 1 through 5 is that there's a joyful submission. There's a joyful submission to this. Let me, let me read it for you. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp and the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. So the first thing that we see is when we recognize God as king is this. First off, it's good to give thanks. It says it's good for us to give thanks to the Lord. It is, it is in your best interest to give thanks. It's good for you. It is good for your heart. It's good for your soul. It's good for your mind. It's good for your body to be thankful. There are scientific studies out there that shows the benefits of gratitude and being thankful and how it contributes to the quality of life. And, and here he says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. It's good that we give thanks. It benefits us. And he says, he uses two words in, in this psalm. He says, the psalmist says, uh, he, he refers to God as Lord and Most High. Okay, that we see this right away. It says, Lord and Most High. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, O Most High, right? Um, praise your name, right? So, so the first thing we see is Lord. Recognizing the fact that when you call somebody Lord, I don't know how many people do that or if you do this very often, call somebody my Lord, um, probably not. But, but if, you're, if you're talking to the God of the universe to recognize that, that he is your Lord, he's over you, he's, you, are, you are under his authority, you're under his care. When you say someone is Lord, it means that they are over you in authority. And he, and he also calls God most high. I love that. Most high. The Lord most high. You see this often throughout the scriptures, the Lord most high. And this is a recognition that God is above everything else. Okay? There is not a ruler on this earth that can rival the power of God most high. There is not a spiritual dominion or leader that can rival the authority and power and goodness and greatness of the Lord most high. That he is the king above kings. He is the Lord that is above the lords. He is the Lord most high. It's this, it's this idea of royalty, most excellency, right? He, he, he is this beautiful, incredible being that is above all of us. And it, this might cause people to, to bristle, right? Because we're already using words that like make people like have nervous tics, like submit, right? It's like, ugh. 
if you're going to bristle at the fact that we're calling God is above and more powerful and no, has no rival, let's look at the characteristics of God. Let's look at the character and the nature of God, which is described here in the first five verses alone. Number one, God is steadfast in love. Isn't that incredible? That's amazing to me. God is steadfast in love. He's consistent in his love. He does not waver. He does not wane. He does not weaken in his love. He's steadfast. He's resolute in his love, which means he wants the best for people around him. He, he is love. He wants what's best for us. He's steadfast and resolute in that. He's faithful. God is a faithful God. God doesn't, God doesn't play the polls. God doesn't go one way or the other for popularity. God cannot be bribed. And God remains faithful. God remains faithful to his people. We have a faithful God who cannot be dissuaded. And then it says, he, the, the, the psalmist starts talking about um, that he's going he's gonna to create music to, to, just to, to be able to describe God and to praise his name. And he says, I'm going I'm to make melody. And he says, for you have made me glad by your work. That the work of God benefits us. The work of God makes us glad. The word of God makes us joyful. And it, and it says, his thoughts are very deep. Think about the best leader that you've served under. Maybe it was your boss, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was your family, I don't know who it was, but think about, think about how, what he or she embodied in terms of leadership. Think about the best leaders that you've served under. Were they people who were, like, like, people who were steadfast in love, who actually cared about you, that you weren't just a means to their end, but you were someone, a person to be cared for, that they were steadfast in their care for you, that they were faithful. That the, that, that the works that they did benefited the people that they served. They worked for the good of others. And that they thought deeply on things. Right? They, these are great qualities of a leader. And every time we see that, we see, the, we see the, uh, uh, the, the reflection of who God is in its truest form. The most steadfast of love. The most faithful. The most good in works and deeds. The most deep in their thoughts. All find their end in God. And so the psalmist has no problem giving his life and sitting underneath the care of the God of the Bible, the Lord Most High. He's got no problem with it. He joyfully submits to that. Why? Because he serves a great king. He serves a great king. And followers of Jesus, we submit our lives and our futures to the God who cares for us and who does great work. God does great work that benefits us. But the thing is, in order to submit, right, in order to submit, we have to get over ourselves. In order to submit to anything, we have to understand that we are not the king. We are not the boss. In order to submit, we have to get rid of our pride. We have to get rid of our pride. And some are just unwilling to get rid of their pride. And we see this actually in verse 6 through 9, this, this tragic picture of what happens when you won't give your life to God. It says, the stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. 
For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. I don't know about you, but when I open the Bible, I don't expect to see the word stupid. It's just kind of a harsh word, right? He's like, well, the stupid don't understand this. And so let me explain to you what's going on here. If, if you're watching this today and you're, you're, you're watching this video or you're, uh, you're, you're trying to think about, like, maybe you're here and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus and you're asking questions and you're like, is God worth following? Can I trust him with my life? Those are great and wonderful and good questions that you should ask. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is the stupid. The stupid, the, what, what they're talking about in this is that these are people who refuse to understand. They refuse to, to consider anything else. They are so arrogant in their rebellion that they refuse to listen to anybody about anything. So you try to reason with people like this and they just yell at you. They freak out. They're not, they're not willing to understand. They're not willing to soften their heart. They're, they're stubborn in their approach of going, God is not going to tell me what to do. And the Bible says, the stupid can't understand the goodness of God because they won't take the time to humble themselves. They won't take the time to look at God as he is says they can't understand. The only way we can understand this is by getting rid of our pride. But some will never do that. He says they're, they're wicked. And he says that they'll, they'll, they'll sprout and they'll flourish. That's another very interesting thing that we see in this psalm. He talks about the flourishing of evil. That it will happen. Does that surprise you that the Bible already addresses the fact that sometimes bad things and bad people get what they want? That there is a flourishing for a time for evil? It doesn't shy away from the reality that sometimes bad things will advance at times. So why would God do that? If God is steadfast in love and he's faithful and he's, he's under control, he's got all these things, why does he allow evil to flourish? Why, why doesn't he just stamp it out right where it's at? Well, a couple of reasons that we find throughout Scripture. Um, number uh, one of them is what we already saw in verse 1, but what we're also going to see in Psalm 103 and everywhere else throughout the Scripture is that God is described as uh, abounding in steadfast love. That God loves the wicked. He, he, he wants them to come to repentance He's giving people time. In fact, in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says he desires all that, that, that all would come to repentance. He's giving people time. I don't know if you've ever worked out an evil plan or, or a plan that was sinful, and for a season it worked. And the thing about sin is it works until it doesn't work. And so it'll work and work and work, and then it breaks, and then it leaves you hollow and empty. And at that point, often what you hear with people who give in their lives to Jesus, they said, I've tried all these things, I've run after all these things, and it left me hollow and empty. And when I was to the end of myself, I finally turned to God and I found him kind. God says that there's evil will flourish at times because he's giving people an opportunity to work it out till its end so that they can turn to him. And I'm so glad I'm so glad that God didn't snuff me out and snuff my life out and kill me on the spot for my sin, but gave me time and he was patient with me until I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he's doing that for others. 
But make no mistake, God is not overlooking evil. God is not blind to the fact that evil is happening. In fact, there will come a time when justice will reign on the earth and God's justice will come and deal with all evil of all the earth. And, and for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, us who have, are lawbreakers, who are sinners, we've put our trust in Jesus and Jesus has given us his mercy We will stand before God, not in our own acts, not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus. And this invitation is available to all people. But in order to do that, we have to humble ourselves and understand that we are not the king. God is, and if we bow a knee to God, we'll stand in the world. But all evil will meet its end in one of two places. All the evil of the world will meet its end in one of two places, on the cross of Jesus Christ or on the shoulders of the offenders who refuse to ask for mercy. But God will deal with it. It, it, it will happen. But if, if you see evil happening, you see like it's flourishing, you can, you can rest in the fact and know that God is not blind to it and that God deals with these things in his time for his glory in the perfect possible way. And so we can rest as followers of Jesus and we can trust God that he knows what he's doing and he can do a better job than we can. And so we trust him and we, we, we sit there, we, we can trust him in that. And when we trust him, we become humbly established. We can humble ourselves and go, God, you know better than I do. And we can just trust in the Lord. It's he that establishes us, verse 10 through 15. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Such a good verse. Such a good verse to think about as we, as we think about these things. Why? Because when we submit to the Lord, what happens? God says, he says this, you exalt me. You pour oil over me. Uh, this, this symbolic uh, nature of oil, what, what oil was it, was, it was for healing. It was for soothing. It was for uh, anointing that you were chosen. He says, you pour oil over me. You bring down my enemies. You plant me where I need to be planted in rich, deep soil. This is the work of God. Follower of Jesus, you do not have to worry about what's going to happen to you because God has got you. God is with you. God is walking with you. He will exalt you in due time. He will pour the oil of healing over you. He will defeat your enemies. He will defend you. He will establish you. He will plant your roots deep. This is the work of God. We just follow him. We follow him and he does a great work in and through us. We can be humbly established because God does it for us. And it says the righteous, the righteous will flourish. Well, who's the righteous? The righteous are not people who have done good things in order to be made right with God. That's not not the righteous. 
The people who are righteous are the people who have been made right relationally with God. And we be, we're made right relationally with God by trusting Jesus. You see, Jesus came to this earth. He's God in the flesh. And he lived a life that we couldn't live. He lived a life of perfection. And he died a death that you and I deserve. And by trusting in him, we, we see that he exalted, he, he rose from the dead to show that he was over death itself. And we're made right by receiving that gift, by putting our trust and submitting to him. That's how we're made right with God. And he says, and the righteous flourish. He says, they look like palm trees. They look like the cedars of Lebanon. They are, they are deep root systems and they are super tall and they're well established and they can weather any storm. Because God plants us in the rich soil of his kingdom. And so in the middle of the storms of life, we can stand. In the middle of plenty, in the middle of want, we can stand. Why? Because we've bowed before the Lord. And when you bow before the Lord, you can stand in the world. God is the one that establishes us. He is the king that puts us in our place. And it says there is no unrighteousness. God has never, listen to this, God has never nor will ever make a mistake, sin, or make a bad decision. Ever. God has never, God will never make a mistake, sin, or make a bad decision. He is the God where there is no unrighteousness. There's nothing that was not right in God. He is the king overall. Isn't it amazing that, that a God that is so powerful is also the God that is so good? He, the God that has ultimate power and authority is also the God that is exceedingly holy and exceedingly good. So we don't, we don't submit to a tyrant. We submit to a God who is exceedingly good who has our best interest, who serves his creation by giving us good things and establishing us and planting us so that we can stand in the world. If you're here today and you're listening to this today and you're like, I, I want to be a part of this kingdom. I want to be a part of this kingdom. How does it happen? How do I, I've gotten to the place where I'm to the end of my rope, I'm to the end of myself, I've worked out my evil plans and it flourished for a while, and, and, but then it just all broke and came tumbling down, it was a house of cards, and now I sit in the ashes that was my life. It's about trusting the Lord. It's about submitting, it's about saying to God, God, I can't do this anymore. God, I, I'm not... I'm not going to try to be my own king. I'm going to follow you instead. And what you say for me to do, I'll do. And where you tell me to go, I'll go. And when you tell me, you know, what I should value, I'll value it. Because I know you're good. You're steadfast in love. You're faithful. The works of your hands bring me joy and gladness. He is the king. And there is no rival. There is no close second. And this powerful king works for our good. And so to submit 
to the God of the Bible is to invite joy into your life. So if that's you today, that's you. Today's the day. Just submit before the Lord and say, God, I want to follow you. He's a good king. He's a great king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, I pray now that as we, um, we wrap up our time together this morning, God, I pray that we, uh, that we would understand who you are, that we would see again that you are a great king and that we can trust you. We can trust you with every area of our life. And so, Lord, I pray now that as, we, as, as we're in this spot, I pray that we would renew our trust, or maybe for the first time, put our life in your hands. And say, God, would you lead me? Would you be my king? We bow before you. And you establish us so that we can stand in the world. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.